Welcome to the Enabled Disabled Podcast. I'm your host, Gustavo Serafini. I was born with a rare physical disability called PFFD. My journey has been about self-acceptance, persistence, and adaptation. On the show, we'll explore how people experience disability, how the stories we tell ourselves can both enable and disable, how vulnerability is the foundation for strength, and why people with disabilities can contribute more than we imagine. I hope that leaders, companies, clinicians, families, and friends will better understand our capacity to contribute to the world and help enable us to improve it. Linda Kafka is a residential interior design sector educator, resource, and connector. She's one of Canada's top go-to living-in-place industry experts and speakers. Linda is also the founder of Livable Canada, an international conference that brings together architects, designers, builders, and manufacturers who are invested in creating healthier, more inclusive, and more empowering spaces. Linda's commitment to learning, connecting, and improving our built environment is remarkable. It's rare to meet someone as dynamic, engaged, and empathetic as she is. Linda doesn't just talk the talk. She cares deeply about things like accessibility, aging in place, and universal design. I speak with Linda in depth about what's missing in the interior design and architecture community, but we also get into why Linda cares so much about improving it. I urge everyone who hears this episode, please share it with any friends or colleagues who are designers, builders, or architects. Changing the way we design and build the spaces we live in benefits everyone. Linda and her network have the knowledge to teach and empower the design and architecture community in ways they're not even aware of. I'm also really excited to announce that I will be giving two presentations at Livable Canada this month. It's from October 27th through the 29th. It's a virtual event. I encourage you to get a ticket by going to www.livablecanada.com. Thank you. All right, Linda, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me today. I'm really excited to be here with you. Thank you. Um, so let's get started. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, you are from Canada, which is awesome. You're the the second Canadian, Julie, was on the show as well. So um, I know you have you have a lot of interests that we're going to get to and a lot of experiences. But how did you how did you sort of um, you know through school what drew you to design and what drew you to um, you know construction industry and all these trades? Well, you know what? I have a really um, slightly different path that I had taken. Um, my, my original passion back in when I was deciding on my career was actually to go into architecture. And I was extremely passionate about it. And I had, uh, you know, like all of us, a caring, loving parent um, that back in the 70s said, you know, my father said to me, he was in the construction industry. And he said, you know, Linda, I don't know if architecture is a place for a woman in the 70s. Um, perhaps you should look at other alternatives as opposed to getting into, into architecture. And I was actually 
top of my building um, construction class. I was top of my drafting and design class. And I loved it. And and so I took his advice and, and I ended up actually in a profession that he had no idea what it was. It was marketing. And so I spent most of uh, my career in marketing, but always having that desire and passion to really be where I wanted to be, which was in a built environment. And it wasn't until um, well into 2000, it was actually about 2006, I should say, I was, um, I started to um, um, participate or, or I should say volunteer with the Toronto Society of Architects. And it, and it got me back on track. And then shortly, three years later, I ended up being hired by a company in Toronto that needed me to spearhead the revitalization of what, what we would call a design center. So for your listeners, a design center is typically a collection of, of various showrooms. They're usually open only to the trade. They'll showcase product. And so ours was a, a residential design center. And it was in that design center that I started to realize or, or to identify, you know, where I really wanted to ride out the rest of my career. And, um, you know, having done over 400 events and, and working with the designers at the design center that came to visit there, a lot of them were starting to talk about the uh, idea of aging in place. And as a marketing person, we're always paying attention to the changing demographics. It's so critical in every business. You know, if you're going to market um, and really stay on top of things, you've got to pay attention to the changing market. And so what was happening is, is we, we were starting to see information coming up in the Canadian market from the U.S., on that um, changing demographic, we, we were experiencing an older population. Um, we weren't addressing the needs of that. We had, an, um, in Canada particularly, we had a, a housing stock, 80% of our housing stock uh, did not meet the needs. A lot of, a lot of the, um, the consumers didn't want to find themselves living in retirement homes. And I found this to be really interesting and it, and it started to draw me in. And, you know, when you're dealing with an aging population, you're dealing with uh, challenges, uh, progressive conditions, people have mobility challenges, but it, it also kind of layered onto my own personal life because when I was back in my 20s, my cousin, um, she was actually in a motorcycle accident and was a paraplegic and, and uh, really struggled with the built environment. And, um, you know, and, and I watched my, my mother at home, even, um, you know, in the 1990s and the 2000s, as she started to have challenges walking, uh, she today is in a wheelchair. But back then, she was, you know, using her hands and knees to crawl up the stairs and, and you know, drag that laundry basket. And and some of these, so many of these things started to resonate with me. And, and so I felt really comfortable, um, almost moving towards looking at, you know, how can I support this industry, whether it's through education or 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 um, you know, knowledge or um, sharing ideas. And so I, you know, looking at the Canadian market, what was unfortunate was um, that we were not really focusing on it. And so I had to go to the States to get this. And so one thing just led to another. When, when you start talking about aging in place, what ended up happening was um, you, you started looking at people with progressive conditions. You started looking at people with disabilities, and then it opened up channels in the accessibility world. It opened up channels in the universal design world. It opened up um, a whole bunch of conversation, but it was the lack of training that I was getting in the Canadian market. So I, the more I, I, I you know, you know, un, uh, uncovered this, the more I found training out there. And so it kind of brought me to where I am today in 2021 with a tremendous amount of knowledge, taking several courses, having a greater understanding. And I am probably more passionate today than I ever have about 
how important it is for us to change our residential built environment so we don't have to adapt to our environment regardless of our circumstance, regardless of our age or our size, um, that our environment really adapts to us as our needs as our needs change. So that's that's kind of my life in a nutshell. I, I love marketing and I and I really truly um, you know love the idea of working in the, with the trades and helping them with best practices uh, on improving residential design. So I mean two two things that really jump out at me are one your ability to make those connections and two your your hunger for knowledge and and getting you know getting those credentials you know you're a certified living in place professional certified aging in place specialist you're super like your your passion for education is beyond most people's um yeah, and you know, yeah. and, and at the Design Center, what I found, because we worked with design professionals, we worked with um, accredited interior designers that, you know, um, architects, builders, everyone was at different levels of, of knowledge. And, you know, honestly, if you're going to be, you know, the way I looked at it, if I was going to be creating events, talking about this, um, really bringing people together on it, you know, if you don't understand the basics, especially, if, you know, as we talk about universal design, if you don't understand the language, meaning what's the difference between accessibility or people with disabilities and, and, and people with progressive conditions, and if you're not understanding all of these adaptive housing, uh, visitable housing, you know, how do you have conversations? How do you create events around that? How do you support and bring people together as a community if you don't understand it? So the idea of education was just that I could really understand what the design build community were doing. But what I found was many of them had just their extent or their education was really just in universal design. And it was probably one course that they took throughout their whole training, um, educational training. And, and that shocked me. It really truly shocked me because so much of it was about other aspects, which are just as important, but there was so much little amount giving given or knowledge uh, given to the, uh, to the design build professionals on the built environment and how people, you know, um, you know, move within those spaces or how those spaces, you know, how they, how they work within those spaces. And when I say work, I'm, I'm talking about predominantly residential and not work from a, a work um, job related, but, you know, how do we, how do we work within the kitchen? How do we work within the bathroom? How do we work, you know, with the laundry facilities or getting up and downstairs? Like, you know, how do we interact with our environments? And I was really shocked how little we have on that. So that's important to me. And what what would you say the so I mean with with these let's say architects and designers they might run into one course here and there like what would what do you think the issue the the main or say the two biggest issues are with lack of implementation right because I think you were in a previous conversation you had told me for example that like universal design is applied around what was it 1%, 3% of all private residences um, in the North American market. Why yeah. do you think that, why do you think that number is so low? I think it's because we don't think about um, the built environment and, and how it actually can impact uh, the people that live within it. We tend to kind of go to the creative, the creative side meaning, you know, the color choices or the finishes or, you know, you know, how that, how that environment looks as opposed to how that functions for us. And I think we really lost sight of that, you know, 
uh, form follows function to some degree. And, and, I, and you know, and, I, and I also, I think that over the years, or at least my experience has been that, that we didn't want to talk about people with disabilities. It was a, you know, a small percentage of the market. Um, we didn't want to, it didn't matter or didn't care. I, I don't want to say it didn't matter. It really does matter. And, and I don't want to assume that people don't think it doesn't matter. But I think that overall, it was just never in the forefront. It was just easier to kind of brush it off to the side. And, you know, and for me, it really resonated when I was with my with my um, cousin and just trying to maneuver, trying to get her into the house, you know, and, and it was really challenging for an able-bodied person to try to maneuver somebody that was in a wheelchair into the house, but it was also um, shameful. It, it felt really shameful and, and it felt like, oh my gosh, like what are the neighbors going to say when they see us struggling up the stairs? And I, and I felt so bad for my cousin and it was almost kind of like out of sight, out of mind. Let's just kind of hide it. And, and you know, and I, I can't speak on behalf of the design community, but I can tell you that statistics and I have I have researched this and, and they're hard to find, but you can find them that less than one percent are designers in, in, the, in, in North America use less than one or about one percent of universal design principles in their design. And I think it's because they don't maybe they don't think about it. Maybe they don't have clients that have that need. But ultimately, it actually benefits everybody. And so. You know, we often just think about the individual that lives in the home, but we forget about the people that might come to visit that space. Like my cousin who can't come into my home and never has because my home has absolutely no universal design principles in it. The hallways are too small. The doors are too small. The stairs are too many to get up, you know. So instead, we find other places. We, we just find other ways to accommodate her. And it's really sad. It's really sad because she doesn't get to see that part of my life and I don't get to experience her there. And you know, we're always having to make accommodations. So I think that that the times are changing as we see more and more. Um, and I hope that we'll see more and more designers embracing this and recognizing the value that it brings to overall. And if you look at the residential home, it really hasn't changed since the 1950s, right after the war. We created one style of home and we just lived with it. And, you know, and laundries, you know, yeah, sure. The laundry rooms are being changed now instead of being in the basement, they're on the top floor. Well, stairs and stairs down, stairs up. Doesn't really matter. Both ways you're doing stairs. And I look at, you know, we should be looking at, at the main floor and how, how we can utilize that space better. So that is um, allows, you know, individuals to access different areas without having to do the stairs or ultimately, you know, looking at elevators, which were never discussed in residential, but, but now seem to be, uh, you know, top of mind for a lot of, a lot of designers. Yeah. And how does this, so let's talk a little bit. I want to get back to that, but for people who don't know, um, what is the aging in place, you know, uh, market and, and that subset of knowledge, like what is it trying to do? What's the, what are the goals? What, what's the methodology? Well, um, it was actually the training course that I took um, has been around for over 25 years. And it was, and it was uh, written and, and run by the National Association of Home Builders in the United States. Canada has just, just now, um, are finalizing through, their, through the Canadian Home Builders Association Adaptive Home Training Program. But the whole idea of that was to really help the home builders or remodelers in the States, we call them uh, renovators in Canada and the States, they call them remodelers, um, to really to, to help modify homes to allow individuals to live in place at home. 
problem is, is as soon as you say aging in place with with anybody, you get that hand in your face and people say, I don't, or design trade, say, I don't have clients like that. My clients don't want to be associated with age. So there's a whole issue right now on ageism and and all of that, which, you know, we have to take into consideration. Nobody wants to feel, um, you know, or, or, or be stigmatized by anything, including age. So that originally started in the States. It was really designed to, or, or really there to help the remodelers um, with great information in terms of how to modify a home. So we were looking, or they were looking back, you know, 25 years ago of, of how to create a zero threshold shower and, you know, what goes in and, and um, zero step entry and widening doorways. And so all of those principles very much um had a lot to do with universal design, but maybe a, where universal design is kind of the widest range, this was targeted a little bit more at people with aging challenges. So we're looking at mobility, we're looking at, at um, you know, your eyesight diminishing, um, so you're increasing your, your lighting, you're looking at, um, you know, the loss of balance or stability, you're looking at the floor as your gait is different or changes, you know, um, as we, you know, might shuffle on the floor and, and removing um transitions and, and looking at different ways to create a safer environment, ultimately to reduce falls, to give independence and reduce falls. So what's happening now is, is that we were progressing away from, from the word aging and looking at living because we recognize, you know, this is actually good for everybody, for, from, from somebody young to elderly. Uh, we're looking at people that, that uh, even, even a woman that's pregnant, you know, can benefit from the, the different um, concepts and features that you find in, in, in aging in place. So what we're seeing is, is, is a broader aha moment, like, Hey, if we're doing it for an older population, maybe we should be doing it for everybody. And then all of a sudden it's like, well, why aren't we doing it so that people with, with disabilities are also included in this? Yeah. It makes sense to me, to me, the, the key, the key theme, if I was to market, it wouldn't, if, if aging is, you know, like you said, it's a, Nobody wants to be wants to be labeled that way, but it's just extending extending independence and promoting promoting a sense of, of promoting wellness, right? So, yeah. um, exercise is always important. That changes as we get older, but really, there's a sense in which the less strain we put on our bodies in the built environment, generally speaking, like it's it's preservation and yeah. strengthening through. Uh, safe and effective exercise as opposed to, you know, I have to climb uh, a a ladder to get up to the top shelf and I have to lift, you know, 30 30 pounds down from it to get what I need from the laundry room or from the kitchen or whatever it is. You make a good point. You make a good point because um, it's typically statistics show typically it's women that have problems with rotator cuffs. So if we're constantly lifting up high and pulling heavy things down, or where your microwave is placed and you're lifting out, you know, hot, heavy, you know, bowls or plates out of the microwave and they're up too high. It's all about ergonomics too. It's interesting. Um, my son's girlfriend happened to come over this weekend and we were, we were doing an old family traditional recipe. She happens to be short in stature. I'm taller and my son is much taller and all three of us really were challenged at the counter height in, in my home. Now, I, you know, when I moved into this home, I was a little bit more restricted. Um, we chose, we chose a location over, you know, the amenities that they had in this place that really helped us, you know, um, function well within the space. So we don't have multi-level counter heights in the kitchen, 
But I felt, you know, I, I, I jokingly said to her, do I need to get you a step stool so you can step up to reach, you know, to kind of knead the dough? And then my son was joking because he was like, well, this hurts my back. So he's kind of, I'm adding, you know, I'm, I'm getting out of this, you know, task. You do it, mom. And, and I started thinking, okay, I'm average five. I'm a five, six, probably average height. And the countered height worked for me. And, and I'm thinking about the other two people that were tall and shorter in stature had really challenges. And so why should they? Why, why are we not thinking about everybody? You know, why are we thinking about the average person? Because the average person doesn't exist and not anymore, you know? And so, you know, I think that what we're seeing out there is just that the aha, the recognizing of, of you know, our, built, our, our environments should adapt to us regardless of what our needs are, not the other way around. And when you think about it, our homes are like our biggest investment. And, and yet we don't challenge anybody that's working or designing those spaces to create those for us. And, and you know, and, and there's a great amount of value. Um, I think if, if my place adapts to me, I'm going to stay in it longer. I'm going to be happier here. Uh, there's a wellness component to it. My, my parasympathetic nervous system, which is your calm, relaxed is always going to be in that in that serotonin kind of um, you know space as opposed to cholesterol and that fight flight and freeze. Oh my god! Like you know this like you know this this environment's not working for me. And I I think that's something that's that often isn't discussed. Or maybe it's the blending of science and design plus the aging population plus the advocacy that the ADA has been you know um, doing for the last thirty years. I think all of this is coming together. And, and now we're starting to realize, hey, wait a second, it's not going to cost us much to make these changes, especially at the new build stage. Yeah. And, and then it's going to, it's like a, a self-fulfilling prophecy because the more people do it, the more manufacturers are going to come out with innovative products and the more it's just going to pick up steam and we're going to realize, hey, this is actually really beneficial for, you know, even if you don't say everyone, but for 80% or 90% of the population, it's, it's, it's going to have a benefit. Um, yeah. It builds that momentum, but I don't know. I get the sense that um, with my company, right? We work in the um, home technology space and we work with a lot of designers and builders and architects. And I get the sense from the designers and architects and the builders that um if they're already successful and they're doing what they're doing, they're mostly repeating that process with every new client. And so their question is, well, why, why should I change? Right. I what's, the need, what's the need to change? I and love that. But, but when I said to you earlier, you know, as a marketing person, we're always looking at the changing demographics. So if you, okay, there's nothing wrong with that. Sure. Stay on that, on that road. Um, and then see what happens and see where you are in five, 10, 15 years down the road. Um, you know, and every, every time we have um, a crisis, whether it's, a, you know, a, a crash in the economy like we experienced in 2018 in the housing market. Um, oh, gosh, right now, the most the most obviously the most um, the one that we're dealing with right now with COVID. What happens is, is that everything kind of explodes and, and, and you know, we, here we are merrily going down the road, then a crisis hits and everything is, is kind of turned upside down or inside out or whatever. Um, the people we've been following and the companies we've been following are, are like, there are no leaders. 
Um, all of a sudden, everybody's looking to go on a new on a new road. And this is the time of opportunity, the greatest time of opportunity to really look at your business and to look at, you know, what could we be doing? Um, where is everything going? And like I said earlier, you know, from marketing perspective, we look at the demographics and we look at how to target it. So I'll give you an example. We have um, an obesity problem in the world. Yeah. And and you know and and it's no it's no secret that some of the U.S. states, in Canada included, um, have a greater percentage of people with obesity issues than than um, than others. But you're not going to if you were a car company and you were you know small compact car, you're not going to market that car in those states or those provinces in Canada that have a large percentage of the population with obesity. So you've got to understand your, you know, what's happening out there with the consumer and always kind of relook at your business plan and your business model and see, you know, is it aligned with the consumers that we want? And if it is, then then you continue on. But let's look at it. We've got 10,000 Amer- uh, Americans turning 65 every day and we will for the next several years. We've got uh, in, in Canada, we're 10th of the population and statistics show that we've got about 1,000. You've got countries all over the world, um, oldest population, uh, aging population in Japan. You've got countries like Australia that have uh, adapted to that aging population. The Nordic countries do an excellent job at it. You look at the UK, a lot of these uh, countries have adapted and, and, and looked at their changing population and have, you know, are catering to that need. And so if we're not doing that, you will get left behind. And so, you know, you're either an early adopter in a marketing um, in, 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 in marketing or you're um, kind of coming in main, mainstream or you're at the tail end. And so for the designers, by paying attention to what's happening with that, um, not just aging population, but with the, in the, the rise of accessibility and, and, and I should say the rise of, of awareness and dis- of, with people with disabilities, it can really help shape your business. And, and, you know, and give, show you opportunities, um, especially ones that are um, areas that are underserved. It, it, I hope that makes sense. You know? It does make sense. So, how, I mean, to me, what's, what's really interesting about, about the way you position yourself in your career is that you're that person who goes and gets knowledge and studies the different fields and then connects the dots for the for the design and, and building industry, right? Which is, yeah. I mean, there's probably there's probably a handful of people like you in the world. It's it's remarkable that you've positioned yourself that way. I think it happened organically, but you know what I've also been doing, and you know, I've been talking to lately science and design, um, evidence based design. You know, and and so when you mentioned earlier my credentials as as aging in place, living in place, I also went through the Rick Hansen accessibility training, which is from um, the commercial perspective. And then most recently, I had my I, I received my Well AP accreditation, and um, buildings are certified. People are accredited, as they always say at Well AP. But for those of you that are not familiar, please go to uh, WellCertified.com and you'll learn about it. But you know um, why I got involved in, and I started to look at wellness was everybody, regardless of your situation, your age, your size, your circumstance. Everybody deserves to be living in a well environment. And um, it's I, what's happening right now is that science and design are coming together. So when you say about connecting the dots, oh my gosh, try having a conversation with somebody that you know has spent their life um, in the sciences or a PhD level and bring it down to a, rem- a remodeler or stager or decorator level or even interior designer. 
And, you know, they, they talk in six syllable words. And so, you know, what I have been doing lately, and I'm really enjoying it, is taking that science information that we're finding out about neuroaesthetics and, and circadian and um, even, you know, fractals and, and, and olfactory and all these different things, talking to those PhDs and taking that information and not simplifying it too much, but simplifying it enough that it resonates with the residential design build trade. And, and, and there's so much that we can be learning from the different, you know, from, from different areas and science plays a big role. And so, you know, it's not just connecting the dots in terms of, you know, products and companies that are dealing with people with disabilities or most recently, you know, technology, like look at the talk about the connected home. Oh, wow. Is that ever just, you know, five years ago or six years ago at the design center, trying to, to talk to designers about the connected home, it was being dismissed. But all of a sudden now having conversations with integrators, people yeah. like yourself, and then taking that information and sharing it with the designers in and, and design build people in a way that they can resonate and connect with it. Because your language is in the, in the connected home as an integra- as integrators and, and, and different roles you play is a little bit different than the language that a designer might use or an architect or a builder. So it's kind of connecting the dots by maybe... Understanding the languages and then and then finding a common ground, if that helps. Yeah, it does help. Can you tell the audience a little bit about uh, who aren't familiar with it about what neuroaesthetics is and you know the research being done with uh, with our sense of smell and 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 fractals? Just a brief a brief glimpse as to what that's about. Thank you, thank you. Um, so to simplify it, we were not born in buildings. Uh, human race was born in nature. And, and so if you were to ask, and I'm really simplifying this down now. So if you were to ask most people around you, you know, where's your outside of, you know, outside of your own home, where's your favorite place? You often will hear people say, I love going to the beach. I love being at the lake. I love being in the forest. I go hiking. I'm in my garden. Like you'll notice a common thread of, of nature connected. And so neuroscience is really about, or neuroaesthetics is really about how our environments make us feel and that connection we have to our environments. And remembering that, you know, we have, like I said earlier, we have two nervous systems. We have a parasympathetic, which is your calm, relaxed, serotonin boosting. And then we have the other one, which is fight, flight, freeze, and, 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 and cortisol. And so what neuroaesthetics is all about and, and why we're all of a sudden talking about it is, is that it's been around for a long time. We've been talking about it, but we haven't really connected the dots between science and the built environment. And so we look at when, when um, I guess this, I, this might help to explain it a little bit. If you've ever been into an Ikea store, um, you'll hear often people saying, sitting on the furniture saying, oh, I could just move in here. I could just live here. You know, come back tomorrow and I'll still be here. Or, or sometimes in real estate, when you go and check out a new, new place and, uh, and you'll say, oh, I, can j- I really connect with this environment. Subconsciously, like you don't, re- you don't know what it is, but it's your subconscious that's telling you, you know what, you're connecting on uh, for these reasons. And so what, what neuroscience and neuroaesthetics is doing right now for the, for the built environment is helping the design, especially the design community, actually understand that they can impact the health of their clients more than a medical profession. 
Meaning that if you are creating and designing spaces that people feel comfortable and safe and, and, and you know, and, and, and connected to, and it's got nature's elements of nature to it, meaning bigger windows or the proper kind of lighting for our circadian, um, our, our circadian system, which is, it's in, it's in our DNA, um, they're going to have a better experience in that environment. And then you as a designer have done your job, uh, you know, better than just following a trend that you would have seen perhaps maybe on, on a television show or a color trend or whatever. So everything from color, sound, um, you know, uh, the smell within that space, um, you know, all of it kind of contributes to that. So neuroaesthetics is, is um, interesting because back in 2019, for, for your trade listeners that might know about the furniture show in Milan, it's the Salone uh, de, Mo, de Mobile in, Salan, in, Salan, um, in Milan, I should say. They, um, there was a pilot project that took place with Google and um, Suchi Reddy from Ready Made Architects in New York, who's a neuroaesthetic architect, and John Hopkins. And what they did was they created three rooms uh, using the same furniture from the same company, but changing out the colors or changing out shapes. And you would walk through with a device that Google had created, and it could measure your responses to those spaces. And after you walk through the three, it would tell you which one of those spaces you were the most calm in. And so the idea of being calm and, and really, you know, feeling that relaxed is good for your, is good for your overall well-being. And so what they were demonstrating there is that there was a, you know, a correlation between science and, and design. And if we could create environments that are calming and make us feel more connected to them, then, you know, we're actually improving people's health because we want to be proactive versus reactive. So that's kind of that whole thing. When you talk about fractals, Fractals, if you're not familiar with it, it would be the simplest form would be something like a snowflake, a repetitive pattern. You have them in flames. Like, you, you know, we love to gather around that, that campfire. Why? It's those fractals that we're seeing, those moving fractals that make us feel so connected. Yeah, um, trees, trees are a good trees, example. Trees, leaves, everything, flowers. Nature is, there's no right angles in nature. And, and that repetitive pattern in nature, it is your the most highest um level of neuroaesthetics it's it's the top of the pyramid there and so if you can incorporate fractal patterns into um into your clients uh, spaces so if you can also create any biophilic that would be you know um that connection to nature whether it's wood grain or or plants or water or light or you know all those elements your clients are going to have a more relaxed environment to be in. And so fractals is something that nobody's really talking about, but you will hear it over the next few years. And so you'll see it in fabric. You'll see it in wallpaper. You'll see it in, in, in flooring showing up. You'll see it in all different areas, but you need to have an understanding of it and how, you know, you can actually talk to your clients about it and why you chose those patterns versus others. And so, so that, and biophilia is another really, it's only, I think, really about the last 10 years we've been talking about biophilia. But surprisingly, all of this has been discussed and, and, and analyzed and studied and implemented in the commercial world. If you look at Apple and what they've done with their, um, with their building and where you work, they spent billions of dollars to create an environment that really, um, you know, is, is more positive and, and, and supportive and, and really well for their employees. Why aren't we doing that for the home? Yep. So, and it doesn't, and it doesn't have to, you know, it doesn't have to cost as much as we think it's where you really 
solve that problem is in the design phase, right? It's in the architectural phase. It's let's think this through ahead of time. Let's figure out what's important. And then, you know, maybe cost is such a, I think it's such an overblown objection, right? Because it doesn't, it doesn't have to cost, you know, even 20% more if you design it into the space and budgets shift, right? So maybe you're going to spend a little bit less on, you know, your, some finishes here and there, or maybe you, you have one less room or et cetera, but figure out what's important to you and then design for it. Well, and you know, you, you, you know what, you're absolutely right. Cost is an excuse. I think, okay, yes, there's a cost to everything, but then what is the cost? What is the value of, of, of your family's health? So how do you put an, a price tag on healthy, well environments? And, and I like to think, you know, when we look at, and, and some people will say, well, how does, you know, designing with universal design or people with disabilities um, kind of come into this conversation? How is that well? Well, think about that. I keep going back to how, you know, spiking our cortisol or spiking our serotonin. If you can keep people, you know, if you have to struggle through a 24, well, you won't get through a 24-inch door with a wheelchair, but if you have to struggle trying to get in and out of spaces and up the front stairs, as you can imagine, you know, me trying to bring my cousin in her wheelchair up, you know, a few stairs and my family members all, one at the front, one at the back, you know, she's embarrassed. Like that, that adds stress to all of us. If we could just create environments that make it so much easier for people to maneuver around or for people that have you know, um, challenges with their vision or their hearing, or, you know, if you do it, especially on the early stages of the, of the new build, I mean, let's face it, home modification, that's going to be a little bit more expensive because we're yep. already dealing with an existing facility. And, and so yep. widening a doorway, widening, widening, um, you know, hallways, okay, that might not be doable. It might be the landscape of where that property was built. There is 15 stairs going up because it's in a very hilly area and there's nothing you can do about it. But but if you're doing new build, it's pennies. It's pennies. And the National Association of Home Builders actually did a cost analysis on this. And so if we if we look at, for instance, uh, light switches and um, and outlets, you know, lowering a light switch to make it easier uh, to reach if you're in a sitting position, or oh my gosh, please everybody, please please raise those electrical outlets up higher off the ground, like 18 inches, 15 to 18 inches would be great. Because even though I'm an able-bodied person, I'm now struggling with, you know, my eyesight is starting to diminish. It tends to, to really be noticeable when you're in your 40s. And um, I have to bend down. I, I already, you know, feel the, the aches and pains of bending. And I have to now fiddle and try to get, find that plug and, and get it just right to plug it in. And I think to myself, I actually talked to a builder about this the other day and he says to me, well, Linda, he says, it just doesn't look nice that far up. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, it's not about looking nice. It's about how I function in my space, you know, and half the time those outlets are hiding behind furniture tables anyways. Exactly. Please That's what I was going to say. Please make it easier. And dealing with in your profession, as we talk about the connected home, bringing an integrator in earlier is so critical um, as opposed to trying to figure out after the fact, um, we're moving towards so many devices that are, you know, making our lives so much more convenient and they should all talk to each other and they should all be integrated to each other. And, and I know that integrators also have a greater understanding of um, security measures and things that need to be implemented or put into place for, for security issues. So when it comes to cost, um, really my question, my, my question to my clients would be, you know, how do you put a, a price on your family's wellness? 
you want to have this product that has high off-gassing, off-VOCs, and you're putting formaldehyde and all kinds of toxins in the air that your grandchildren or your children or you are breathing in? Or do you want to spend a few more dollars and have this product that is not going to um, diminish the air quality within your home? Right. And for and for the disability community, like, you know, how do you know that your son or your daughter isn't going to bring, isn't going to have a friend who's in a wheelchair or some, or somebody that you meet at work that you want to invite into your home. How can we not have, how can we not have at least the main floor of our home to be accessible for people? I mean, I know the estimates vary, but I've, you know, you read between 15 and 20% of the population has some form of a disability now. And it's, and it's increasing, rapidly increasing, because we are adding that that aging population. And those are only the people that report that. Think yeah. of all the people that don't report it. And look at, you know, these readers that I'm wearing is a disability, these glasses. So, you know, um, uh, one in five people are challenged with the um, uh, activities of daily living. And, and you know, and I met a young, I met a, um, I'm sorry, I met, he was elderly. I met a gentleman, he was probably in his 40s, and he said to me he had arthritis at the age of eight, and he suffered with it his whole life. Well, I've never heard of that, but that doesn't mean it doesn't exist. And so, you know, when you're looking at, you know, simple things that can be done within your space, but it increases the value of your home or, or, or wherever you live. And so, you know, it, it it's something to at least... If you haven't thought about it, you should really think about it. And if and if you want more information, you should. Be. It certainly is out there now. If you Google aging in place or living in place, accessibility, home modifications, you are not going to be short on any information out there. There's a ton of information. I think the hardest part is just getting through reading it all and 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 having having you know, um, especially if you're in the trades, having resources like individuals like myself or yourself. Um, is is smart business, you know, that go-to resource that can point us in the right direction and help. Ultimately, yeah. you know, we're all in this together, right? Absolutely. So, and, and I think it's so powerful to think about, and I want to talk about livable next, but I just to kind of tell me if you agree or not, but I, I look at it as, as um, like inefficient or almost like a waste of human potential, right? Because we spent so much time in our built environments, we're making our lives more difficult, less healthy, less productive, um, less inclusive by maintaining a standard of homes that essentially has been around since the 50s. I mean, that's yeah. almost a, to think I, about I, I how much. Agree. Yeah, it's kind of it's just sad. Yeah, I think this is our time now. And, you know, and, and when you think about the ADA being 30 years old and um, and, the, and the struggles um, and, you know, and trying to get, you know, implement, um, you know, changes in the building code, the residential sector. Yes, we are. We have a building code for those of you that are not familiar with this industry, but it is very limited in relation to what you're seeing in the commercial sector. And that's changing. And I know, you know, I can't speak to the American market, but I know right now in the Canadian market, the Canadian Standards Association, along with the Canadian Home Builders Association, are actually um, creating accessibility standards for residential. And, you know, I don't know how long it will take before it will be in the code, but it's coming. It's coming. And, and you know, and, and, and organizations like Rick Hansen Foundation that, that has a, a fantastic training program on accessibility. Yes, it is strictly for the commercial space, 
And oh my gosh, when people are building those environments, they tend to build to the minimum code. Again, it's budget and all of that. If we can just do it to the minimum, then check that box off, we've done it. But you know, the design build, um, people that work in the design build sector have the power. They truly have the power to change this and to really move it forward. And, and, and you know, and, and that's what we need to rely on. And, and that's why I spend a lot of time advocating in the trade sector. And I have to tell you, I have been hit with a lot of rolled eyes, hand in the face, you know, please, like the squirrel, like, ugh, like really, like, do I have to listen to Linda tell us again? But, you know, every day I speak to, to people that are starting to sit up and take note on the value that this brings by improving our residential environment and making it inclusive. And, you know, and some people get kind of get hooked up on the words like, oh, but I don't have clients with accessibility or I don't want to deal with people with aging. Ultimately, what we're doing is, is we're really giving people independence so they're not having to rely on somebody else to help them within that space. And, the, and we give and we're giving, you know, dignity. We right. all deserve that. And, you know, and we're, you know, and we never know when life is going to throw us a broken leg here because of a skiing accident or a paraplegic because of a motorcycle accident, God forbid, or, or, or a loss of hearing or loss of sight. We don't know what's going to happen to your life. But if you can, if you're in the power to design spaces and, and to really look at it, you know, we're relying on you um, as the trades to, to really take us forward in this because we don't know as consumers, we don't know what we need. Don't know. I don't know how many times I'm going to renovate my kitchen. Well, if I'm going to, if I, if this is my forever home, you know, I might only want to do one or two renovations and then that's it. But I could, you know, if I stay until I'm elderly and not want to go into a retirement home, boy, I'm going to have challenges if I got to reach up to those top cupboards or, or if I'm stuck with, uh, you know, a microwave over top of a stove or, or uh, other things that we see that are wrong in the space. Yeah. So, it's, like, yeah. it's almost like, it's almost like we're designing for, I mean, so I don't know what the, how long do people typically live in their, in their homes? Well, it's interesting. You should say that my European relatives um, not only spend a lifetime in their homes, but they don't flip real estate like we see in North America. Now I live in Toronto and if you've been paying attention to the housing market, we have a housing crisis. Um, we have probably in the States as much as we have here, affordable housing, a housing crisis, um, you know, I've lived in my home for 30 years. Um, my neighbors probably longer. My mother bought her house in 1967 and she only just moved and she, you know, and, and she just moved out in 2018. So if you do the math, she was there for a long time. I think that what we're seeing is the cost of real estate, the uh, millennial um, um, generation that can't afford housing, um, the, you know, the, the restrictions out there, there's less and less land. Um, more and more people coming into the city. What we're seeing is, is people not selling their homes, uh, you know, that, that you know, loving your community, all your, the amenities are there, your dental doctor offices and all the things that you love. You know, you may have, you know, relatives or neighbors that you want to be close to. You don't want to necessarily leave and go into a bedroom community that's going to have less amenities, um, you know, even though, you know, and so, so what I think is, is we're going to see is more and more people wanting to stay in their homes and not necessarily flip them. Um, we're seeing a rise in multi-generational homes, which we never, was never a big thing. I think back in the seventies, um, early seventies, we were doing that in Canada and then it kind of plateaued, but um, it's come back now. The sad part is, is if you look at a lot of the floor plans for multi-generational living, 
they both floor plans are almost exactly the same and and there's no consideration for you know that that aged uh, family member that's going to live on one portion of that um so so i think that we're going to see less and less of the housing turnover um and when it does go you know prices are going up and up and up and up um, and yet and yet we design for the now right we don't design thinking of how could you put with flexibility one of the principles of universal design is flexibility right so we're designing for a moment in time rather than a period of time oh well said absolutely well said and so i think that uh you know like do i want to be moving when i'm in my 60s no do i want to move again when i'm in my 70s to another house to adapt oh. to my needs no and 80s it gets worse and and do I want to find myself in a retirement home? No. So no, 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 no. So what am I doing? I'm going to rely on the trades to educate me. And if and whoever educates me is going to get my business. But remember, if you are also looking after my cousin who's in a wheelchair and or my mother who's now full-time in a wheelchair, and you take care of their needs and make their life easier, you better believe you're getting all my business. Yep. All my business and my children will probably hire you as a design build professional too. Because we're going to respect the fact that you thought about and looked after our family. And so there's, you know, when I hear a lot of professionals say to me, well, word of mouth, I get a lot of business, word of mouth. Word of mouth is not a business model. It's not a reliable because your population, your clients eventually age and move on. Unfortunately, they will pass away. Um, their neighbors move away. Word of mouth, you know, at some point in, in that business will start to dwindle. And so you need to really look at, you know, your business model and, and, and what value you're bringing and, and, and really, you know, incorporate that into um, kind of connect with, with today's consumer. I love that. I don't think I've ever heard that, Linda. I think that's, that's brilliant. Word of mouth is not a business model. That is so it's true. Not. It's yeah. not. Think yeah. about it. I, and you know how many designers, I know that they've enjoyed years of word of mouth. Hey, listen, I had a thriving printing business, word of mouth. And when I moved locations, my business really just died. Um, that was back in 1999. My business died. Why? Because my clientele didn't want to go the distance. And the word of mouth was like, kind of, yeah, Linda's great, but oh gosh, you have to drive like, you know, 20 minutes out of your way to get to her. And so, you know, it starts to change. So you, you can't rely on word of mouth as your business model. Yep. Bring value. Bring value to your clients and, and wellness um, aging in place, whether that's your thread, living in place, um, people with disabilities or accessibility, uh, you know, you've got all options. You're not stuck in one in one um, area only. So you can choose which way you want to go in your business and, and expand that. And I am seeing more and more designers, especially now interior designers that are incorporating wellness and uh, wellness discussions into their um, services or other list of services. Fantastic. And I, Let's talk about um, what you're doing, you know, uh, from an event perspective to help connect all these dots for the trades. Let's talk about the Livable Design Summit. Can you tell us what was the, how'd you get it started? You know, where, where has it been? Where have you seen, how have you seen it growing and evolving and where do you want to see it in, you know, moving forward? Thank you. Thank you. You know what? Um, it actually evolved from the designers uh, when I ran the design center back between 2009 and, and 2017. And I, you know, during my time there, I probably created over 400 events on various topics. But there, but I was starting to grow a lot of, uh, create a lot of topics around that aging 
in place client or wellness or accessibility and so on. And and um, and then I was experiencing a lot of these trades that were going and getting their CAP certification or the CLIP training or whatever their training was. And then the, and then the conversations were coming back to me like I feel so lonely. I've got my training, but now I don't have anybody to connect with, or I need more information, or I want to see some projects. And so it was really built from the industry, listening to the industry saying um, in their different silos, saying, you know, we need more. Like, could we, you know, instead of having one event this week or month and then another one in a couple months, couldn't we do something that's a little bit more powerful and significant? So I started off, um, I, I created a, a platform called um, a website, livablecanada.com, spelled the American way, by the way, L-I-V-A-B-L-E, Canada.com, because I, I really looked at this prior to COVID as a really Canadian-centric um, website to support Canadians because we didn't have, like I said earlier, training, knowledge, and so on. We we're always going to the States. And as much as we love our American cohorts um, and they are valuable to us, you know, we needed something that was a little bit more our, our backyard or our own market but then and and then from that I, I um, started the plans there was always um, intent to create a conference and I called it the livable environment conference and it was meant to launch in on May the 6th of 2020 I think it was I already lost track with COVID and and then of course COVID hit and what was meant to be a small 200 gathering event um, Toronto centric ended up going virtual and that was um, we, we had that in uh, October of 2020. And what ended up happening is we brought all these people from around the world and, and they were tuning in from Australia and from Greece and from Denmark and, and, and the UK and 65% from across Canada and a large significant number from the US. And, and then, oh, and then there was 15 builders or, or designers that came from Trinidad. And I'm like, wow, all of a sudden, everybody was sharing part of this conversation. And so, you know, we, we decided to keep it virtual. We ran a second one um, in April. The first one, we had about 465 people come and they showed up. They actually showed up on a virtual three-day event. Typically, if you're doing a in-person, we could have probably done it in one day. We had about, well, we, claimed, we, we started off with 30 plus speakers and I think we ended up with about 40 speakers the first time. And then, and then the second time we did it in April because we thought it was too long to wait um, a year before, you know, we resumed the conversation and we had another one in April and now, now we're at 500. But um, when you do virtual events, we kind of capped it at that because it's costly and, and you have to pay for everybody coming in. So we, we purchased enough credits for, for 500 and we were sold out with a waiting list and, um, and people walked away with a lot of aha moments. And, and, and then we did a deeper dive with the science, with people from the science um, world and neuroaesthetics and a whole bunch of other different topics still keeping true to our accessibility, our design, our wellness threads and business threads of education. And now I'm working on the third one. And believe it or not, I've actually created a science and design summit that's going to happen at one of the trade shows in a big residential trade show that's happening in North Carolina. Um, it's called the High Point Furniture Market. And so we're going to be in person in October 15th there. And then October 27th, 28th, and 29th, I'm back in Toronto and we'll, we'll have the third virtual um i changed the name to livable design summit um summit usually the bringing together of leaders and that's what i see this is these these people that are showing up whether they're speaking or attending or our product manufacturers are really truly change makers they're change makers they're showing up 
they're like I said, in marketing, you know, your early adopters, they're the ones that are showing up, they're sharing ideas, they're incorporating it into their business. They're all at different levels. And we've got architects sitting at the table with renovators and decorators. And when I say living, sitting at the table, I mean, virtually, but we've got, you know, um, we're actually piloting um, our very first home tech summit. And we're going to have, we're bringing the integrators there. And let's talk about technology in the home. And so our theme is really about best practices and improve uh, to improve residential design. But what we're seeing is healthcare people like occupational therapists want to join the conversation. And can you believe people from the hospital industry that are, that are um, typically over the years would be designing hospital rooms. They want to be part of the conversation because there's so much to share amongst ourselves and our and our given professions and so what i'm doing is it's just facilitating you know based on on the needs of, of what everybody's asking just facilitating a really great network of people that have a lot to share that are actually making an impact in the residential environment whether it's Absolutely. single family right up to multi-unit i went to so i yeah as you know i attended the april conference and i was blown away and that's why i you know, reached out and connected with you and Jonathan and a few other people. But I, I was, um, it was so interesting because I was going in there expecting one thing, right? Which is, okay, there's going to be designers and architects here and they're, you know, I want to kind of see what's trending um, and maybe meet some people. And instead I got this whole experience of, Oh my gosh, here's somebody talking about universal design. Here's somebody talking about accessibility, about wellness, about health. I was not expecting that. And it was like, it felt like, okay, this is this is the place that I want to be. This is what I needed. Here's an actual community of people that are thinking about these things, like you said, leading, innovating, and showing up as early adopters. And I felt like I felt very at home. And it was just, it was so beautiful to see. Um, that there are people out there who care about these things. And it's not just, you know, in my head, or it's not just this little tiny minority of people. So I, I want to thank you for that experience. And I do encourage all of our listeners to at least, you know, if it's, if it's not sold out yet, sign up for the conference, consider attending, whether you're in the trade or not, even if it's for yourself, for your next home, to learn how to advocate for yourself and how to ask for the things that are actually out there to improve your, your own experience in, in your home. Yeah. You don't know what you don't know. And, and, you know, and, and so when I ran the design center, um, you know, I got a chance to sit up. If I wasn't on a board of an association, I was volunteering and you know, as well as I know, we all work in silos in our own profession. We're just too busy. We can't cross over, but that was the advantage I had at the design center managing it. I was on the board of the interior designers for two years. I was on the board of the decorating um, association for six years. I was volunteering with the builders association. I was speaking at, at the uh, kitchen and bath shows. I was, you know, attending um, aging in America conferences. And so what I was doing is, is I was crying. Oh, I was, I was um, involved with the uh, Toronto Society of Architects and then, and then eventually into the Royal Architect um, Institute of Canada, but um, an AIA, the American Institute of America uh, um, in America, uh, the American Institute of Architects. And so everybody kind of works in their own um, silos because it's very costly to become a member of all these different associations. But because of my role at the design center, I could get into each one of these and, and the common thread was, there was a common thread. They were all talking about, you know, how do we improve spaces in general? Um, and how are we looking at it through the lens of accessibility and through the lens of aging and through the lens of wellness? 
And so when I designed the conference, I thought I am not putting this as, you know, um, one silo. I'm going to, because, and, and remember, everybody's coming in at different levels. I've got architects that have been doing this for 30 years in accessibility, working in accessibility. I've got people that have never even heard of some of these terms that are coming into it. I've got others that are specializing just in wellness. So everybody's at different levels. So the idea of the conference was to kind of look at the format of TED Talk which um, we all know that we have about an attention, uh, 18 minute attention span and then we, our minds start to wander in that. And we don't want to overload you with a ton of information because that you know, is difficult too. But we want you to really curate your own experience at this event. So in April, we had more than 50 speakers um, pre-recorded and then we did product knowledge, which was live. And then we brought in panel discussions, which were live to kind of round everything out. And so... For, for all of our events, we've always offered a paid ticket. Um, it's $99. And then you get access to all the recordings for a lifetime. Or if if that's not, you know, if you just want to come in and try it out, or if you don't feel you need all that information, you can come for free. So we don't, we don't make this difficult for anybody. You know, we want you to, we want you to show up. We want you to be there. And that's why we have that free ticket for you. Um, but in the event that you do want to have all the recordings and 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 from previous um, conferences, then you know so be it. And and we've got a small ticket um, amount for that. But it's about bringing the community together and about making change and bringing the change makers. And and we're quite happy that that it's moved in this direction and it's going to continue to grow. And hopefully one day we'll have a hybrid where um, I, I'm actually working on it right now. And and um, 2022, I hope that we can have an in person event along with the hybrid um, virtual event, but we will never ever stop doing virtual because how great is it for us to be able to connect with um, people in Australia or Nordic countries and share information? Like, isn't that great? Or Absolutely. any other in the world and have something to bring to the table or maybe want to learn from us and what we're doing. Yep, absolutely. So it's about sharing and le- learning and, and making positive changes. So that's what we're all about. Um, we'll have, you know, we're, we're just changing up the website now and, and we're a small team. We're not a big organization. I actually do this more on a volunteer or out of passion than, than from a monetary perspective because you don't make a lot of money in this. But I have to tell you, I as I ride out my retirement, I can look back and say, I made a difference. And that's what I, I hoped. And so, you know, my father, who's no longer with us, before he passed away, he said to me, Linda, he died of cancer in 2007. I said, Linda, I still don't know what you do. And I said to him, see, Dad, if you would have let me be an architect, you wouldn't have been asking me that question. But instead, I became a marketing person. And now you, you have no idea what I, I, I do. But I have to say, you know, I'm quite proud of the fact that I've come full circle. And I'm actually using my marketing skills and my connections um, in, a, in, a very, in a field that I really originally wanted to be in, which was architecture. So for me, um, it's passion driven. And I think what you'll find is more and more people as we start to age and we move through that, you know, changes in our life and our career, we find that doing something that's meaningful and something from a passion perspective really um, adds value to our own personal lives. And I want to encourage your listeners to really think about, you know, what drives you and, and what's your passion and, and what's meaningful for you and, don't wait, don't, you know, you might be in a job that you, you might not necessarily love, but that doesn't mean that you can't get out and volunteer for things that really make, make a difference in your life. Um, for me, it's making a difference in other people's lives. It's important. 
So thank you. You're welcome. And you definitely are. And uh, I appreciate you saying that. Um, so where, where can people find you, connect with you, reach out, sign up for the conference, all of it? Yep. So it's easy. I've got everything on livablecanada.com. So it's L-I-V-A-B-L-E Canada.com. spelled the American way, livable. And um, if you go there, you'll find my contact information. I, I'm, I'm there like, hey, reach out to me if you have questions. I gladly will give you my time. Um, and my resources, as long as you know, as if you ask, I'll be there to help you. Um, and if you want to register for the event um, for that summit, the Livable Design Summit, just go on to the Livable Canada. There's ticket registration there. It'll take you to our Eventbrite page. You've got that option of $99 all in, access to all the recordings, you know, for a lifetime, or or you can come in for free. We also have the Home Tech Summit, which um, we're quite excited about and bringing technology and information. And, um, and then if you happen to be interested in the science and design summit, we have um, information on that too. So three summits have come out of this, out of this passion of mine. No, it's amazing. You're doing a terrific job. And I hope that, I hope that it continues growing and, and you're, you can keep extending your reach and, um, you know, ideally it's going to be, Yes, it's a passion project, but ideally it'll be financially rewarding and and something that you're helping more people with, right? Why not have both if you can? Yeah, thank you. You know, as I ride up my retirement, I want to look back and say I made a change. I made a difference in this world. There's so many places to make a difference. This was the one I chose to make a difference in. So thank Amazing. you for having me today. Thank you for- I really appreciate and I value your knowledge and and, and your information. You're, you'll be a speaker at, um, at our Livable event. You're doing two presentations, I believe. And you know, I look forward to having you back because you can't just do one presentation. You, everybody has a wealth of knowledge. So bring these people back over and over again to share more and more information. So I'm, I'm excited to work with you. Me too. And uh, we'll, keep, we'll keep amplifying and promoting on our end because, again, I think what you're doing is incredible and super important. And I'm just... Uh, I'm honored that you're here on the show. I'm, I'm so happy that we connected and, and I look forward to what's next. Well, we had Julie, your last, your first Canadian speaker. She was uh, twice speaking and I think she's coming back. Um, and, and so you, you may have connected with her through, through Livable. Um, yep. I think you connected with Jonathan White from the Idea Center at Buffalo University, another training program that I take. Um, but there's lots of connections and that's what I'm all about. Hey, connect, let's connect. Let's make this world a better place. Absolutely. Thank you so much for being here, Linda. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. Thank you so much.